Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, Roger, this pulpit. Where's Roger? This is cool, man. You all know Roger Edgar made this, and it, if you haven't seen it, it, it's going to be in the Smithsonian in a week, so you better come up and look at it soon. But my name is Reed Jolly, and uh, I'm thankful to be here. It's Thanksgiving, and my wife, uh, my only wife, whose name is Lisa, uh, we are new members here, and we're grateful, and we want to thank you for your warm welcome uh, even though you've not officially welcomed us yet, we're looking forward to that too. But, but the welcome has been from, from day one, so we just want to say uh, thank you, and uh, we're, we're happy to be here. Uh, well, it was 1789, October 3rd, the capital of the United States of America was in New York. And believe this or not, it's true, nobody knows exactly where in New York the capital was. It's kind of hard to imagine. But George Washington stood and gave a speech, and he said this, Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor... Whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me, the president, to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many favors of Almighty God. And thus, thanksgiving as a national holiday was born. Now, I think it's pretty clear political discourse has changed a lot. Uh, since then. But I, I want to ask us, uh, as, as we kind of come to the end of Thanksgiving week, you know, Thanksgiving used to be a day and now it's a week, which is really good. But, but is any national holiday more biblical, with the exception of Christmas, than Thanksgiving? It's not Veterans Day or Flag Day or Memorial Day or Labor Day or Groundhog Day. That's a big one. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is at the heart of Christian faith. 
thanksgiving, gratitude, appreciation. We just heard those, that kind of uh, smattering of Bible verses that, that uh, Daniel read. And, and Paul calls us over and over again to thanksgiving. Ellen Vaughn wrote a book about 20 years ago called Radical Gratitude. And in that book, she said this, cultivating a grateful heart is not just an add-on nicety. A civil tip of the hat to God that we uh, uh, steamroll through our day. Thanksgiving is a posture of uh, purposeful and perpetual thanks to God. It's absolutely central to Christian character. Listen to this. She says, Thanksgiving is the hallmark of heaven. Thanksgiving does not exist in hell. Wow. So, would you turn to Psalm 95? And I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little counterintuitive. When you get there, put your pen or your thumb or your index finger in your Bible, and then just close it up. But keep, keep, keep your Bible there, and then in just a minute we'll open it up. But I want you to hear God's Word. I want us to hear God's Word. You know, the Bible was written mainly to be heard. And then we had this printing press thing and, and, then, and then we had cell phones. And so, but, but I'll, let's just hear God's word. Psalm 95, are you ready? Here's what the psalmist says. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with Thanksgiving. Oh, you knew it. You've read it before. (laughs) Let us make a joyful noise to him with uh, songs of praise. Why? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the proof and put me to the test, though they had seen my work. I said, for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, there are people whose hearts are far from me and they have not known my work. Therefore, I swore in my wrath They shall never enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. We say, thanks be to God. Okay. Everything I'm going to teach in the next few minutes comes down to this. Psalm 95, now you can open your Bibles and we'll look at it in detail. But but Psalm 95 calls us to glorify God, get this, to glorify God with a faith-filled thanksgiving. 
Not just Thanksgiving, but a faith-filled Thanksgiving. Okay, we just heard Psalm 95. Where does this come in in the flow of Scripture? What is Psalm 95 all about? Well, actually, we're not entirely sure, but most scholars would say this psalm was used at the Feast of Tabernacles during, you know, those centuries where Israel worshipped in Jerusalem. And the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles is a fall harvest festival. It's a time of thanksgiving, of singing, dancing, exuberant praise to God. And people would come into Jerusalem. They still do it to this day, by the way. It's late September, early October. It kind of, uh, Israel has a lunar calendar, so it moves around a little bit. But they, the family picture, some, Joe, picture doing this. You build a little hut in Jerusalem. This happened this year in Jerusalem. And your whole family gets to camp out in the hut for a week. And every day you go and you worship and you sing. And what a great time. And you eat and you drink and you, you, you dance. So, so the, 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 the psalm looks back to that time in the wilderness when people would live in huts and give God thanks for his faithfulness. So here's the way we're going to divide the psalm. You can just see a simple outline up here. The the psalm can be divided into two parts. There's a call to thankfulness, verses 1 through the first half of verse 7. And then I paused and I came over here. And then the second half of the psalm is the second half of verse 7 through 11. It's the cost of thanklessness. So look at your Bibles. Notice, notice the language in verses 1 and 2. Uh, there, there's four times, and then another time in verse 6, let us, let us, let us, let us, let us what? Let us sing, make a joyful noise, give thanks, songs of praise. Here's that call to exuberant party-like worship before God because of his goodness. Thanking God for manna and water and military victory in the desert as Israel made her her way to the promised land. Israel lived in spiritual huts, which in a sense, excuse me, physical huts, which in a sense symbolized their, their poverty and their dependence on God. And if we want to think of a parallel to the church, we dwell together in a spiritual hut called the church. Remember Ephesians 2, where where God is building us into a temple where where God lives by his spirit. And as we come together week by week, we bring into this room what I'm going to call all the ambiguity of our lives. On the one hand, there are people in this room, maybe this season of life, they've had their first grandchild or their 10th. Or maybe you found out that you're pregnant and you're going to have a baby soon. And there's just joy. Maybe you've gotten a raise. Maybe you've gotten a promotion. And, and you think, man, God has been so good. But on the other hand, in this room, and maybe in some of those same people, there's the other side. There's the diagnosis of cancer. There's the observation of a year or two anniversary of a death of a loved one. Maybe somebody we love, or maybe we're seeing it in ourselves, we, we see early onset dementia. Nevertheless, we give God our grateful thanks, first and foremost, for being God. We sing together in this room. 
We make a joyful noise in this room. We give thanks in this room. We praise God. Now watch this. These activities both express and create thanksgiving. Have you ever thought about this? (laughs) Thanksgiving is a virus that you can catch from others. So if you're having a hard time being thankful, just go hang around with someone who is. But here's, here's the deeper mystery. Thanksgiving is a virus that you can catch from yourself. Thankful people become increasingly thankful. Conversely, grumbly people, grumbly people become increasingly grumbly. Now, we got to note this in the Bible. The refusal to give God thanks is the telltale sign of unbelief. Remember Romans 1? In Romans 1, Paul's giving kind of a biography of of every person. He's talking about the fall of humankind. It's very generic. It's about you. It's about me. It's about everybody. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Thanklessness shows what's in our heart. It shows that we don't believe in God. I love what Al Mohler said a few years ago. He said, it's important for us to recognize that there is no more radical, no more fundamental Christian act than thanksgiving. In this sense, thanksgiving is itself the most deeply theological act we can imagine. Wow. Now, to say that is to say that thanksgiving is not an elective in the Christian life. I mean, there, there are, are a lot of electives. We may or may not speak in tongues. We may or may not show up at the church work day. We may or may not do foreign missions. We may or may not read John Calvin or the Westminster Confession of Faith or the London Baptist Confession or the Left Behind series. Those are electives. We may or may not participate in the potluck at church, but Thanksgiving is a part of the core curriculum for every believer all the time. It's not that some believers are discerning and others are thankful. It's not that some believers are good administrators and and know how to do the soundboard and, and then there's the rest of us who are thankful. No, it's not like that. It's not that some are visionaries and... Others are thankful. No, thanksgiving is for every believer all the time. So the caveat, again, maybe you've come today and your life is such that you say, boy, if you knew, Reed, where I've been, if you knew the lightning bolt that struck my home and my heart this week or last week or in October, Or worse, maybe you've lived for a decade or two with such disappointment that it's difficult to sing or to pray or to rejoice. 
the Christian, the believer, is, is the man or the woman, the young person, the boy or the girl, who lives with what I'm going to call the great nevertheless. All these things are out there. Nevertheless, I will give thanks. Have you read Habakkuk lately? You know, happiness in church is sitting next to someone who knows where Habakkuk is in the Bible. <laughs> it's a curious little book. Habakkuk is one of the, about the, probably the time of Jeremiah, and, and he's talking about the fact that the Babylonians are going to come down and destroy Jerusalem. And the book consists of basically two complaints to God, saying, God, how can you use a more evil nation to punish evil Israel? The Babylonians are worse. How can you do that? And, and what you see in the very short book, three chapters of Habakkuk, you see Habakkuk change, and he comes to appreciate that God actually knows what he's doing. <laughs> Imagine that. And here's how the book ends. It ends with a prayer of Habakkuk. Listen to what he says. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Habakkuk, he's, he's talking about all of his disappointments. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, uh, Habakkuk says, though everything in my life is going poorly, yet, he says, nevertheless, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Nevertheless. Remember Andrew Brunson, about 19, uh, 2016, I think he was a pastor in Izmir, Turkey, and he, was try he and his wife were trying to get permanent status. I, I think they'd been there 20 years or so in a small little church in Izmir, modern-day Ephesus, and they were trying to get permanent uh, status as, as residents, and they were arrested for being terrorists. Imagine that thrown into prison without charges, uh, Brunson's wife was released immediately and she got out, out of the country and came to the United States. Andrew Brunson spent two years in prison, most of the time not knowing how it would turn out. I guess all of the time. He wrote his wife a letter. Listen to what he says. He's, here he is in a Turkish prison, not knowing his future. He says, if I am still here at Christmas, I will thank Jesus for coming to earth. If I'm still here at New Year's, I will thank him for bringing me through the year. If I am still here on my birthday, I will give him thanks for another year of life. Wow. By the way, do you realize what a gift Thanksgiving itself is? Such as that we're thankful. Thanksgiving itself is a gift to us. Uh, you might think of Thanksgiving, after all we've looked at this morning, as an obligation, and it is. But it's also a gift to the one who gives thanks. So Lisa and I, we, we've, had, we've had some strange vacations. We, we like to go trek. Trekking is when you walk from place to place. and So we're among the few people on the, the planet. We have to train for our vacation. And we've walked across England, and we've walked in the Pyrenees, and uh, it's been great fun. 
Well, one time, when, you're, when you do that, you, you talk about all kinds of things. You talk about important things. You talk about silly things. You talk about nothing. And sometimes you talk to yourself. And, and one day we're walking along, and I hear my wife say, I'm so thankful. I'm a thankful person. <laughs> so I, of course, said, well, what else do you like about yourself? But, <laughs> but actually, I thought <coughs> quickly, I thought, she's on to something. Thankful people are happy people. Thankful people always find something new to be thankful for. Now, the joy of knowing God is that we know to whom we give our thanks. You know, the 20th century is is the great century of of no Godism, of atheism. Nietzsche said, There's no God, he died in the year 1900. G.K. Chesterton came along in the 20s and and, uh, he said, he said the, the, the terrible moment for the atheist is when, when he finds in his heart a wellspring of thanksgiving, but he has no one to thank. Friends, is this good news? We find in ourselves a thank, thankfulness, and we know whom we can thank. We give thanks to the God for, uh, from whom it's, all these good gifts are responsible. He's responsible for them. That was easy to say. We have someone to thank. Every day of life that we enjoy is, is, some, is a day to give thanks for. Every meal that we eat, especially this week, we give thanks. Every moment of laughter, the movement of our limbs, we say, thank you, Lord, for the groceries in our kitchen and 10,000 other good things, each one of them gifts from God. So Paul will say to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? What's the answer? Nothing. It's all a gift. James tells us that every good gift and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Hebrews says that our lives ought to be marked by a sacrifice of praise to God. Augustine, who did not write any of the Bible, but he said, the Christian is an hallelujah from head to toe. So let's look at the psalm and ask the question, why are we to give thanks? Would you look with me? Look at verse 3. The whole thing is about the nature of God, the God that we worship. Number one, we learn in verse 3, God is great. He's good. He's a great God. This is where thanksgiving begins. We thank God for his greatness, for his goodness. That's the kind of God we worship. Remember Moses in the wilderness, Exodus 34? He says to Yahweh, he says, I I, want to see your glory. And God says, no, you can't see my glory. If you do, you'll die. But I'll show you my backside. It's in the Bible. So on Mount Sinai, he hides Moses in in a little crack in the rock, and and God passes by, and and God speaks as he goes by. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. God is good. Number two, God is primary. Look at it again in verse 3. He is king above all gods. 
He's more powerful than Taylor Swift or Elon Musk or the nation of Iran or the United States or China or North Korea. He's king above all gods. Thirdly, look at verses 4 and 5. He's sovereign. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. This is called, in gr- grammatically, it's called a merism. Say merism. Learn, let's learn a new word. Doesn't that feel good just to say merism? You, you guys can use that in the GRE when you want to get into graduate school. It'll, it's going to come up on the test, I promise you. But a merism refers to when you have two extremes, from the North Pole to the South Pole. And it means everything in between. The depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains. It's all good. And it's kind of fun because in the ancient Near East and today uh, in some places, the, the ocean, the sea is seen as a place of evil. Remember Revelation 13, the beast comes out of the sea. Well, the psalmist almost makes fun of the notion. says the sea is his. No big deal. He made it. God is completely sovereign. Nothing is too difficult for God. Your cancer, your unemployment, the need for more toilets at Apostles. Come on, I thought you'd laugh at that. We're Baptists, we can laugh. Thank you, thank you. Your child's heart murmur, your other child's hardened heart, the injustice that you believe you've endured, God has it. So give thanks. God is great. He's primary. He's sovereign. Best of all, look at verse 6 and 7. He's personal. He is our God. We are His people. He is our shepherd. Shepherds know how and where to lead the sheep. Okay, it would be nice in a way if the psalm ended right there. We said, man, great call to Thanksgiving, praise God, amen, let's go home. But the psalm doesn't stop. Derek Kidner, who wrote a really wonderful commentary on the Psalms, he says, perhaps it's because there would have been a tendency in Israel to romanticize the time in the desert. You know, when I was a kid, Christmas was perfect, but it's not so great now, that kind of thing. That, oh man, when we were in the desert, everything was good. And God wants the people to know what he remembers of their time in the desert. So the second half of the psalm starts with the high cost of thanklessness. Meribah, Masa. Look at verse 9. Your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. What work? What work did Israel see? Think about it. 70 people go down to Egypt, 400 years later, they've grown, 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 grown. They become a slave people toward the end. And God wants to bring them out and put them into the land of promise. So he raises up a deliverer, he sends plagues, 
The great plague is Passover. Israel is miraculously spared by the blood of, of their, the lamb that they put on their doorposts. They cross the Red Sea. That's kind of impressive, wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? And they come three days later to, uh, uh, they're thirsty, and they come to a, a well that is bitter. The water is bitter, and they start to complain. They start to grumble. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? Is that it, Moses? And so God, Moses says to Yahweh, he says, what am I supposed to do? He says, well, throw a stick in the water. He throws a stick in the water. It's now sweet. And the people drink. And they go on. And the next place that they stop, they find 12 springs of fresh water. They're watching the work of God. Are you with me? When they get to Exodus chapter 17, or when we get to Exodus chapter 17, the people have come to a place called Rephidim. And there's no water. Exodus 17.1 says, and the people were thirsty. Now think with me. They've seen God's power. Wouldn't you think they would say, well, we know, we know, we're thirsty, but we don't know how, but God will definitely take care of us. They don't. In fact, they want to stone Moses for bringing them into the wilderness. God says to Moses, go out, go out a little way, strike a rock, and then God provides water miraculously. But in Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, we read this. Moses called the name of the place Masa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord with us or not? You see it? The issue is one of belief. They tested God. They refused to be thankful. Okay, we can summarize the two halves of the psalm. Give thanks because God is God. Refuse to give thanks and you will provoke the anger of God. For 40 years I loathed that generation and swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. So they stay there 38 years waiting for the older generation to die off. And the younger generation goes into the land of promise. Grumbling revealed unbelief. Well, in a sense, end of Bible study right now. And I just want to think together with you. There, there, many of us, maybe most of us, maybe all of us, we are in that thirsty place right now. We've seen God do a work in our lives, in the lives of those around us, in, in Apostles Church right now, but we're still thirsty. And therefore, we're tempted to put God to the test. We are tempted to figure it out on our own. We are tempted to unbelief, to ingratitude. Again, thanklessness, grumbling, is synonymous with unbelief. And here's what I want us to do in the next couple of minutes, and I'll be done. Is there, I want to ask a question. Is there anything that we can do to assure ourselves that this won't be the today when we harden our hearts, forsake thanksgiving, and wander from the Lord? Is there anything in the psalm itself that gives us a clue how we can protect ourselves? Thanksgiving, 
begins and ends with the belief that God is God. That all we've received, that all we are, that all we have is from the giver of every perfect gift and we say thank you. Full of gratitude, full of belief that God fulfills his promises. Now, I have to say this. We're not talking about putting maple syrup all over our suffering. We are called to suffer, and we are called to grow through our suffering. That comes up over and over again in the scriptures. But we give thanks, nevertheless, because we trust the one who is guiding us. So what hints are in the psalm? Very, real quickly, it's wonderful. We thank God together. Five times in the psalm, we hear the words, let us. Let's do this together. So when we're in a season where it's difficult to thank God, we, we crave the fellowship of the body of Christ. Thankfulness is contagious. And when we are crushed and broken, let's give God thanks together. Yes, in the church, there's a place for lament, for sorrow, for tears, for confession. But interlaced with it all is the depth of thanksgiving. Number two, we need to hear God with a soft heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as at Massa in the wilderness. What do you think that means, if you hear his voice? Well, in our century, we're, we're tempted to think, well, that means if I feel it inside. But that's not what's going on in the psalm. Remember, Feast of Tabernacles, the priest would stand and read the scriptures the Bible, the scriptures are the very voice of God. If you hear, of course you're here. This is God's word. And the psalmist calls us to hear with a soft heart, not a hard heart. Do you know how to read the Bible? Do you know how to hear a sermon? I hope everybody in this room has a, a habit of, of daily Bible reading. But you got to start in the right way. You have to start asking God to soften your heart, to open your eyes to what he has for you. I start, I say, God, I'm thinking about other things and, and I'm, uh, you know, just task-oriented. Would you soften my heart right now to hear your voice? And when you come, when we come on Sunday mornings and we hear the word of God proclaimed, you know, the preacher can just be flapping his jaw and nothing much will happen. But if we prepare ourselves and say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. We're cultivating a soft heart. We say, God, I'm weak. I'm distracted. I'm prone to hardness, to pride, to, to pharisaic self-satisfaction. I offer you myself right now. Speak. Number three. Thank God, verse 7, as a sheep 
thank God as a sheep. We are the sheep. He is the shepherd. Accordingly, we come under his care, his provision, his blood. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Shepherds bleed for their sheep? Not usually, but this shepherd is also a lamb. Remember John the Baptist? When he sees Jesus out by the Jordan, points at him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Wow. In one sentence, he unravels the whole Bible. All those sacrifices are fulfilled in Christ. We thank God as a sheep for the shepherd who became a lamb and died for us. Now hear this. We give thanks because Jesus endured a moment of thanklessness. We give thanks because Jesus endured a moment of thanklessness. When, when Jesus is on the cross, he doesn't say, thank you, 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 thank you. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was made sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became thankless so that we can be eternally thankful to him. Do you know him? Don't try this Thanksgiving thing without knowing him. Come to him in faith. Embrace what he did for you on the cross. And then you can give thanks with the rest of us forever. Psalm 95 calls us to glorify God with faith-filled thanksgiving. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's people said,